Can we sing it once again with all of our hearts? Thank you, Lord God. Cast us not away, Lord. comes from the psalm, Psalm 51. If you have a, a Bible that includes whenever those psalms were written, in verse 1, it will tell you that that psalm was written after Nathan had visited David with this situation with Bathsheba. So this man was praying, oh God, don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And you know what God did? Exactly that. Lord willing, we'll look at it this weekend at the power of repentance. What a single heart can be able to do. God bless you. Let's turn tonight. I don't want to get sidetracked on that, do we? Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. I'm just happy to be here tonight. Anybody sad to be here? Nobody? Okay, good. That's good. We're happy to be gathered together, even if it's in the Holiday Inn, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Revelation 19, 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent, Rangness. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. Won't you notice now he doesn't call her bride? Hmm. Doesn't call her bride, but calls her wife. His wife has made herself ready. Notice again, she didn't make herself wife, but she made herself ready. We do not make ourselves bride. Neither can we make our family bride or anybody else bride. But we can, by his provision, make ourselves ready. Look at verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. That was granted unto her that she should be clothed in fine linen. I love this word. In the Greek, whenever John 
chose to write this. It's a different word than the Hebrew whenever they wrote it in the Old Testament. And it was from the purest, most brilliant white linen that could be found during this time frame. As a matter of fact, the linen was so outstanding, it was worth more than gold. This linen was so beautiful and so brilliant, and John chose that particular word to describe what his wife was dressed in. Let's read it again. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, clean and white. You know enough about God and so do I. If we're ever gonna stand there like that, it's gonna be a provision of grace. For the fine linen, now this is the key to this, is the righteousness of the saints. Now what's amazing is that she is never attributed to being white, clean, or holy. Catharizo is the word there which means set apart, sanctified, cleansed. We're never identified by being that way by our righteousness. Why would John ever say the righteousness of the saints? Because you see, it's his righteousness that's given and then we take that righteousness and do the right things about it. So again, the word that he used here is a coupling together of the grace of God and the works of people. That we do what God bids us to do and it is righteousness. What is righteousness? Right living. Right living. How many like to be remembered tonight in prayer? We've got several in our church family that are sick, some with flu, some with viruses, COVID, this, that. Um, Brother Tim Burdett's wife, Sister Elaine, has been diagnosed with COVID and I've been in touch with him the last couple of days and texted him a couple of hours ago and he just responded to me a few minutes ago and he said that she's very, very sick and he's really concerned about her tonight and he asked me if I would mention it to you that we would be able to remember her tonight before the Lord. How many has a need in your heart? <clears throat> Let's just pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, Father, we know that as long as we're here in this life, that our bodies are susceptible to sickness and disease and germs and so many things, Father. The Holy Ghost within our soul does not always protect us from a cold or a cough or the flu or many of these other things. But Lord Jesus, we have this promise that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. So we pray for our brothers and sisters, part of our family tonight that are sick, some still dealing with after effects of flu and coughing and this and that. We pray that you'd be mindful of each one tonight, Lord. We also pray for our sister Burdette that you would move for her. Father, we join together our faith and the promise of your word and we ask you in the name of Jesus, that you would touch our sister, Lord. May you make her well. Father, just from reading Brother Tim's text, I could tell that he was very concerned about her. But may the Spirit of God go to her where she is tonight. In the name of Jesus, would you touch our sister and make her well, Father. Add the blessings to your word tonight. Help me that I can be able to get out of the way. Speak to us those things which will be beneficial to us tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. 
this is certainly a wonderful passage of scripture that we're looking forward to with all of our hearts to come to pass in our day. Marriage and betrothal and espousal, such a beautiful thing, especially in the scripture. With our Western civilization, we have so uh, marred it and changed it from what God intended for it to be. But whenever it was actually, this was written in the days of John, it was still a carryover from the Old Testament and on up through the New, to whether that an engagement was a very special thing, betrothal, espousal, and it was a sacred thing to them. They didn't just look at it as a girl running away from home, trying to get away from her mom and dad. They didn't look at it as a man and a woman meeting and them running out and doing whatever they wanted to. That was not allowed. They didn't do it that way. As a matter of fact, a girl could not just join together and run off with a boy and agree to be married. It was not absolutely even lawful in their, their day to do it. But they looked at it as a merging of families, a merging of goals, a merging of objectives. Emerging many times, it was for financial gain, of course, but many times it was not. And we can see in the days of Solomon how that Solomon did so. He married one of the daughters of Pharaoh, uh, married one of the daughters of different kingdoms, and it was to establish his kingdom on the north side, on the west side, on the south side. And there were political marriages then, just like there have been down through the ages. But for the believers, it was something that was very sacred, and it was something that they really looked to and honored. So for them to be able to write about the marriage of the Lamb in the New Testament, it took on a brand new view just from the Old Testament view of what they thought about it. And you remember whenever Joseph had found out that Mary was expecting with child and he was going to put her away. But he did not want to do it in an open way, but he was going to put her away privately lest it would bring shame upon her. And the angel of the Lord had to appear to him and said, Fear not, Joseph, thou son of David, to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And he commands him to go ahead and take her and to be the shield as it was for Mary and for the baby that was to come. Because the way they looked at it, she had lived so unclean in his eyes and God had to supernaturally be able to enlighten him and what had taken place. So then John, this was his background. Now the reason I say that is so that we might be able to understand it a little bit better because what marriage is today, well, it's certainly degraded to what it was then that a person would marry a pizza or a man would marry his hot rod or a woman would marry her cat. I read not long ago where some rich multimillionaire had given millions and millions of dollars to her dog. So her dog lived in a castle her dog lived in, uh, in this great palace and it was absolutely phenomenal just looking at the pictures that I saw of it and the dog had servants and butlers and maids and so on and so on and so on. I'm not sure exactly how that he told them what he wanted. Woof, woof meant dog food. Wow, wow meant cat food. I'm not sure exactly how they worked all that out. But I thought that person will stand before Almighty God one day and not only be judged for a sinful life but also be judged for giving all that kind of money to to an animal that don't even have a soul. But that's where we are. 
So people that have so degraded that a man would want to marry a man, a woman would want to marry a woman, or they'd want to marry, they're not even sure what they are anymore. They're just still trying to figure it out, out I guess. But so living in that age, if we're not careful, our very image of marriage will become tainted by the filth that is around us. But keep in your mind, Marriage is the oldest institution in the world, given to us by Almighty God himself. So when we look at marriage and we join together a young couple, we do not look at it as the the -the run-of-the-mill type of thing. No, to us it is still a sacred thing. And then we go beyond that and then we look to this marriage. Now, we've just closed out in Revelation chapter 18 and how the harlot is judged and how that the great city of Rome has been destroyed. And I find it still phenomenal that John would go from the destruction of Rome by an atomic bomb and then he tells the heavens to rejoice as we looked at last Wednesday. And then he jumps from that. Immediately the scene opens again and it opens with this salutation, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him for the marriage of the lamb has come. Now, the word there is a tricky word because some in reading this and they take the word gamos and they think that the bride is not actually married until we reach the heavenly setting. And I used to think exactly the same thing. But under the influence of the message of the hour, you realize that God completely changes our view about when we are truly married. Now, years and years ago, whenever Brother Branham would have preached this message entitled The Invisible Union of the Bride of Christ, no doubt a lot of the Pentecostals that were there, which is where I got my previous view from, they probably felt like that Brother Branham was totally wrong by saying that the bride had already entered into an invisible union right now. So that many, many people still to this day preach and promote that the wedding will take place in heaven. But if you notice the way that John writes this and the word that he uses, there's a key word to this verse which illuminates us that the bride has actually already been wed. Now watch this. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come. Now the word that he uses there is gamos and it means a wedding or a marriage festival. So it's not actually a wedding ceremony, but it is a wedding or a marriage festival. What is it? It is the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it is a divine banquet that God has now spread forth for his people. So John is not now saying, let us be glad and rejoice because the Lamb has now married his wife. Actually, they were already married on the earth in an invisible union of a marriage vow performed by the ministry of Malachi 4. You see, it was through the uniting, according to what the prophet told us in proving his word, it was a uniting time that was going on by Christ, the Son of Man, coming down. And this is why, of course, even many of the people around the message, they still don't understand the significance of us preaching the message. We've got an element of people that say they believe the message, yet they don't preach 
the message. They don't talk about the prophet. They don't talk and preach from the message itself. You'd be surprised at how many message churches do not welcome you as a preacher to read message quotes. Well, let me just let you know where I stand. If I cannot preach what the prophet said, I wouldn't feel welcome in the first place. Now that may, that may just stun some of you to think that there are so-called message people that don't want the message preached. I don't understand that myself. Why in the world would God send a prophet with a message and then not want that message preached to the followers of the message? It don't make a lot of sense to me. I know I'm not very smart, but I'm smarter than that. You know, Paul told Timothy whenever he wrote to him, he said, now be not ashamed of the gospel, nor be ashamed of me, his prisoner. I don't believe that Paul had wrote his word as his own opinion, but I believe it was the word of God. So what has happened to us? I hope you understand that what is going on in this setting right now on this last day is that we are being united to Christ the Lamb as the word is being preached. You say, how is that happening? As we hear him, the word Christ, being preached, it severs us from the ties that we held formerly. You see, that's why it's important that we let go of preconceived ideas of predestination and election and the calling of God and the difference between the bride and the church. As we let go of this, we are being united to what? The new anointed word, which is Christ himself. We're not being united to a dogma or to a creed. Well, we're we're becoming Branhamites. No, that's not what Brother Branham wanted. He did not want us to just go around quoting him and all belong to the Branham Tabernacle. He wanted us to be so in love with the Lord Jesus. And if this message does not make you love the Lord Jesus more, then you have missed the meaning of this message in the first place. Well, praise the Lord. This God sent this prophet that it would help us. Now, look, friend, I know for many of you, maybe it was the miracles that you heard in Brother Renham's ministry. I realized there was an element of people in the message, and they come from secular denominations, and they were taught God was dead. God didn't do any of that anymore. And whenever you first heard about the miracles, that's what caught your attention. It was not mine. Okay, it was not mine. That was not what caught my attention or hey or many of us that was in Pentecost. I had already seen miracles. I had seen discernment. I had seen wonders. I'd seen the blinded eyes come open. I saw a dead baby raised one night in a service. I've seen crossed eyes uncrossed miraculously by the power of God. I saw one miracle after another, after another, after another. It was not the miracles that caught my attention when I started hearing this message. One of the greatest things was how he preached the Lord Jesus and by how he talked to the Lord Jesus. He talked to him in a way that I had never heard anybody talk to him before. How many knows what I'm talking about? It's just the way he addressed him and the way that he set him forth and the way that he projected the personality of God in a way that I, I just never comprehended it before. And as I listened, it began to change my view of the Lord Jesus. Just not the doctrine of serpent seed and the doctrine of election and the doctrine of predestination, but it began to reshape the way I looked at Almighty God. And I hope you understand what I'm going to say. I'm continuously, as I feed on the message of the hour, my view and my, my perspective of the Almighty is constantly being altered as I listen to more and more of the message. Harry sent me a quote today. 
In this quote, Brother Ram said, it would be a great thing if God would perfectly make him well if he was sick and God had performed a miracle. But he said it would actually be greater if God would reveal to him about divine healing and he would take God's word and believe God's word and confess that word every day. And, and God would be healing him every day. And I thought, isn't that amazing? But most of us would probably believe the opposite of that. We would believe that a miracle would be greater. Isn't it amazing how we can still believe things wrong? But you look at it from his perspective and what he was saying was that the Lord loves when people will take his word and they will believe that word. Some days they may do good and other days they may be fighting battle with the symptoms of what they're believing God for. But they still believe God is their healer no matter how they feel. But you realize an instantaneous miracle, it doesn't take a great prolonged faith. It drops in your heart, God does it right there, and it's over. But a person believing for divine healing, it may be up and down and in and out. They may be years of fighting that battle of divine healing, but they don't give up. They keep trusting God. Now, when I hear something like that, what that does, it again alters my perspective and my view of the Almighty. Because I look at it and I think, wow, there's something about his character that he loves to hear his children take his word and they believe that word through thick and thin, ups and downs, in and out, light and darkness, whatever. And that does something so much to his being toward them that it moves them and it helps me and it alters my view. Then the more my view is altered about him, the closer I can become to him. You understand that? Those of you that's been married for 10 or 15 or 20 years, however long it's been, and if you and your wife are really true, joined together, you know that the longer you're together, the more you begin to think alike. And the more that you'll begin to say things that are like one another. Some of y'all nodding your head, is that right? Well, because it's the way that you're joined together and you begin to think a lot. Me and Carol do it absolutely all the time. I say, where do you want to go eat? She said so-and-so. I said, that's exactly where I was thinking. She said, we need to do so-and-so. I said, I was going to tell you exactly the same thing. So we've been together now for all of these years and the more we're together, the more we understand one another. Now when you're married and you're young, you think the most important thing is you get in your way. And whenever you get into an argument, of course now I'm preaching to these sorry sinners that are streaming the service tonight, but whenever you get into an argument, you think, well, the most important things is you being able to have the last say and you being able to say something that'll burn him up or burn her up. And boy, you think that's it. You think you've already accomplished something. But the longer you're married, the more you realize that peace has much more value than proving that you're right. Well, hallelujah. Tranquility in the home and peace and all of that, it's a great thing. So what are you doing? You're learning what the real proper values are. Well, the more we learn about our Lord and the more we learn about what he wants and what he dislikes, well, the more we're learning about his nature. Can't you see, this is another reason why the foolish virgin, the church, cannot be married to him because they don't understand his personality. First of all, they divided him into three and made three gods out of him. And you certainly couldn't walk up and whenever you're gonna walk 
woke up and think you're gonna be married to three and John looked on the throne and only saw one. You don't, you don't know who you're even marrying. You don't know who your husband is. You don't know anything about him. So God begins to reveal himself and as he does, as you would hang around a young boy or a young girl and you was around them more and more and you fall in love as we say and you begin to understand more of who they are and what they are. Well, it's the same way with the word. Now here John is going to address this and he says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage or the marriage supper of the lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. So all of heaven is given this, this uh, consultation to be able to rejoice and that they should be glad. Now would you notice that the bride is not invited to her own wedding. So this is not directed to her. But this is to another group of people. This, of course, is one of the common errors that's been believed for many, many years from the Old Testament, but especially in the New. Whenever God began to project his, his grace and spread it over the entirety of the human race, that people looked at the grace of God being given to the recipients on the earth, and they looked at everybody as being exactly the same then that God does not have differentiation because of election. And they think, now truly, as far as receiving salvation and grace, there's no rich ones among us, no smart ones, no dumb ones, all that sort of thing. But they fail to realize that God, even under grace, has categories by which he reveals himself to. And this is one of them tonight. And that is the difference between the bride and the church. So there will be guests that will be there that will no doubt be people of the Old Testament. Now remember in the new earth there will also be the categories because God in perfection created these great angelic hosts. So there were cherubims, there were seraphims, there were zoons. And he created ones which could fall, ones which could not fall. He created some angels which had a beginning and some actually that rotated off of his being as we would say that were as eternal as he himself was which is where you come from. Now because the work of God is so glorious he will actually unveil this by his own character. Again the more we learn about his character don't think I'm trying to complex him now and make it complicated for you but the more you understand about him the more you can fall in love with him which is all this whole thing is all about. Now once, it will be by his greatness and by his power. And John said, for the marriage of the lamb is come. Now the church, all of heaven is now rejoicing because the bride has been resurrected up. Of course, those that have been alive were changed. Those that were dead have been resurrected. And the heavens is now starting to enter in. What this is doing, it's starting in the preview of the day of the Lord. Now the day of the Lord is a very common theme in the Old Testament. Prophesied by Isaiah, prophesied by Obadiah, prophesied by many of the prophets and we'll get into it a little later. But they talked about a day that would come when the Lord would usher it in. But it comes strangely. God ushers this day of the Lord in by wrath and judgment and destruction which of course was not in the dispensation of grace. Now it was called, and of course and has been for 2,000 years, the day of man. We are living in the day of man. Man's wisdom, man's technology, man's this, man's religion, man's government, but this is not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will be when the days of man have come to their end and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, then it will usher in 
the day of the Lord. Now we're just a couple of verses away from the ushering in of the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord cannot come until the marriage situation is right in heaven. So the bride is being united on the earth and they have been in every age since the gospel began 2,000 years ago. So the elect of God were united to Christ the word of their day by hearing the word. Now this is why the devil hates for you and I to hear the word and then become part of what we're hearing. This is why he fights the preachers. This is why he fights the preachers himself because he knows. Let the people alone. Just let them stay home. Let them not go to church. He knows they'll die. The prophet tells them over and over again. Even people that got saved, he said, get you a home church. Find you a godly pastor that'll preach you the truth. He said, you'll dry up and die if you don't do it. Well, come on. That's what he said. He knows the value and the importance of it. And as you hear, you're corrected, of course. Some services, you just feel his love all around you. Other services, you know, God controls it, of course, according to what we need. And Satan knows that. And Satan has done his very best for 2,000 years to break that unity between Christ and his bride. But he's failed to do so, and he will fail to do so in this age as well. So what is God now doing? God is now calling for the heavens to rejoice because the bride is in heaven, the marriage supper of the lamb, the table has been set, and now the church has overcome. Now watch, her union with her glorious Lord is a reflection of his own glory himself. And John went on to say that his wife has made herself ready. Now she's joined together in an interrupted, uninterrupted, perfect union which was in God's mind before the foundation of the world. From this point, joining up in the rapture, we will never be separate again. Now let's look in verse eight. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Watch in Revelation 3, 4. Now, this symbolism, of course, is used in various places in the scripture. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, again, the Sardesian church overcomers, they are identified as being clothed in white garments. Now, what a contrast this is to the woman that we saw in Revelation 17 and to the same colors carried over into Revelation 18. So we saw scarlet, we saw purple, and we saw all them colors which are identified on the prostitute church. But when John sees the bride in heaven, he does not see scarlet, he does not see purple. He does not identify her with gold or silver or even pearls. But he identifies her by one color, which is the original color. Now she's been brought back. The color she's wearing proves her soul has come back to its original place. She has now been restored to the original salt of God. Remember when God made, made the first woman Eve and brought her on the earth? And she was God's perfect thought of what a woman ought to be. And yet when God brought her into existence of the earth, she actually never materialized into that perfect thought because had she been that perfect thought, she would have never fallen from that thought. But she manifested only partially of what God wanted her to be. She was beautiful, of course, in that state and she loved her husband and everything was fine. So what happened then to that thought? God can never lose a thought. 
and God can never have a new thought. So what happened to that thought that God had this perfect thought about what a woman would be? Well, if he had that thought, there's got to be someone, or may I say many someones, who will manifest that thought. What was that thought? A woman that would love her husband, a woman that would be subject to the word, a woman that would never die, a woman that would have eternal life. This was all what made up God's thought of a perfect woman. And yet Eve was never able to fully manifest that perfect thought. What happened to that thought? Well, I believe it's sort of like the thought of Isaiah 7, 14, when the prophet said that the prophet Isaiah spoke it, and it's like it circled the earth, circled the earth, waiting for the time and the season by which one would be able to catch that word and a virgin was on the earth and it went into her womb and she caught that and manifested that. So where is God's perfect thought of a woman? I believe it has been circling as we'd say the earth maybe again and the cycle of eternity God waiting for a perfect woman. Who is it? This woman here in Revelation 19. She will stand before him as that perfect thought of a woman. She was tested, she was tried, she was born lost, she was born unregenerated, she was born horrible, she was born and, and come to the earth and then after she was here for some for 15, 16 years, they started becoming defiled by humanity and they were scarred with all types of things and seemed like they would have never been able to amount to anything and yet the mercy of God reached down through them and brought them through all of that trauma, all of their past, all of the things that they'd been through, able to wash them by the water of the word and be able to present them to the Lamb of God as they walk into that manifestation of a perfect thought of a woman. Oh my. Don't you want to be that before God? Now Paul says then that whenever he himself was liking that. Notice John talks about this group here in Revelation 3. So the bridal attire I'm sure you sisters have noticed this before in reading it, that in the newspapers, whenever they would put it in there about John Doe married, you know, Mary, whoever her name was, and she become Mary Doe. And one of the things that they will emphasize in that is what? What the bride wore. Isn't it amazing that they very rarely mention that the, that the bridegroom had on a black tux? Well, don't most of them. So they have on a black tux and he had, you know, this cummerbund on and, and the preacher had on these black cuff links and they, 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 you know, they don't even go that way. But what did they describe? The bride. The bride had on this dress and this lace and you sisters know more about that me than I would. So uh, they had, uh, the bride wore this and the bride wore that. Well, look, John, staying true to form, that John now that the wedding has been consummated and they've come in and they've had this time. So John begins to describe the bride's attire. Now, he does not start at the top with this beautiful tiara and start coming down, you know, as this type of lace and this and that and the other, but he sums up the whole thing in this beautiful portrayal of the original color of white. So all through the scripture, this is identified this way. And this to the bride, I love the way John writes this for, he says, it was given to her or granted. It was granted unto her, and the same word there means given. And I love the way Paul says this in Philippians 3, 9. Being in found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, 
the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now see, as a true believer, when we obey God's word, then the very righteousness of God is attributed to us as it was to Abraham of the Old Testament. So Abraham believed God and God imputed it unto him for righteousness. Now the blood in the Old Testament could not be counted as righteousness, but what was? His faith. His faith. Now I hope you don't misunderstand me. One day, when we walk into that heavenly realm, we will no longer need faith. We will no longer need the blood of the Lord Jesus. We will no longer need a veil between us and God. We will no longer, listen carefully, we will no longer need prayer. We will no longer need preachers. But God will save some of them sure as the world. We will no longer need people confessing the word. By stripes I'm healed. By stripes I'm delivered. There'll be no confessing going on in heaven. There'll be nobody that'll ever need a prayer line. No preachers will ever stand up and take a text. Now tonight I'd like to preach on. There won't be none of that there. Nobody will have to believe God by faith because faith will be transformed into sight. Listen, so faith will be transformed into sight and the very person of God will be manifested in his human temple setting on the throne of God and the Father will be this great excellent glory that is the emanating from that, that human body that will be the Father God. So this is what we will come up and approach. This is what we will touch. It will be God's human temple. And there will be no need of these things that we have now because we will have reached that state of perfection. All oh, hasten the day, Lord Jesus. Notice this, so the double nature of this process, it was given to her by the power of God, but then she takes what God gave her and she translates that into a life that is lived every day by the word. And that's why we quote the prophet in the church, church age book saying that a life lived by the word is the word expressed. But if a person tried to live it without the attribute of righteousness being in them, what are they? That it's just filthy rags. So a, a person could stop cutting the hair, says a woman, and men could stop wearing, um, you know, whatever it is that would be worldly, and they could stop drinking and stop smoking. And many people can do that whenever the doctor gives them a bad report, said, if you don't quit smoking, it's going to kill you. And they say, all right, I'm quitting. But if you're not born again, that's still not righteousness. So we would look and we'd see our sisters with dresses on and with long hair and we don't see no makeup on them and all that sort of thing. And we'd say, well, praise the Lord. That's righteousness. Only if it's righteousness from the soul and working out on their manifestation in their body. Now, if it's just on the outside, they are no more than Amish, Mennonite, Hutterites, Right? Because it's not actually righteousness from the inside out. They're just being made to do that until they reach the age of 18 and then they're gonna do what they wanna do. 
But if it's revealed to them, then by the Spirit of God, they put this on and they are being clothed. Now, do you understand what you're doing every day? When you live right, you do right, you talk right, you don't cheat, you don't lie, and you live a godly life, do you understand that you are already putting on the garments of righteousness in this world? And the body change will only be a further advancement of what you're already wearing right here tonight. How many live right today? How many's walked right today? How many's done right? Oh, sure, you've made your mistakes and all that. So what have you done? You have put on the righteousness of God and then you let that righteousness of God manifest itself in your daily works this very day. Here we are on Wednesday night. So it's been a few days since you've had service and Brother Andrew preached that great sermon for us. So I hope by the grace of God that on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, and starting tomorrow again, you'll resume that same thing. What will you do? You'll act like a Christian, talk like a Christian, live like a Christian. Why? You are a Christian. So it ain't something that you put on on Wednesday night like you put on a suit, man. You know, here you go. Y'all wouldn't want me to come to church the way I was dressed this morning about 6.30. I went over to the church and putting on some stain and some sealer and this and that. I got an old pair of blue jeans that had stain here. had a black mark over there and I had on dirty shoes and had on an old shirt that had stain here and there. If I would have walked out of there tonight, you'd look at me and say, what in the world's wrong with Brother Donnie? Well, them clothes are very appropriate for staining and all that sort of thing. But, you you know, I really wouldn't want to preach in them. So it's the same way whenever we become converted and changed that we take off the worldly garments that we're born in and we put on a robe of righteousness by the new birth. And then we start acting different. We start talking different. Heaven is only the consummation of that work which has already started in us and on display right now. You know, I've got a strange religion. I take it with me on vacation. I've got a strange religion. I still live right on Monday. I've got a strange religion. I believe it ought to be 365 days a year. I know, yeah, on that 366 on leap year. I think you ought to live right when you're by yourself, when you're with your family, when your wife's present, when your wife ain't present. I think you ought to live right. Why? Because David said, I put him ever before me. And if you realize you're in his presence, it'll keep you off a website you shouldn't look at. It'll keep you from saying things you shouldn't say. Well, I wish somebody preached with me tonight. It'll keep you from doing things you shouldn't do because it's already on display by the grace of God. Whew, wow, wasn't that good? Thank you, Lord. Now watch this in Revelation 19, 9. And he saith unto me, right. Wow. So here comes this voice. And it's like he interrupts John's on a roll. And now he wants him to take special heed to this. Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now this is not necessarily the bride because the bride's not invited to her own wedding. She's not invited to her own reception. She's already been invited so this will be guests, Old Testament, New Testament, however God will merge them all together. And he says, they're even blessed just to be at the reception. Well, if they're blessed to sit at the table, can you imagine how blessed you're gonna be when you're gonna be the one that's being honored? 
Notice, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now the angel who is commanding John to do this actually commands him to record this beatitude. Now remember the beatitudes, of course, of the Lord Jesus when he gave them there in the book of Matthew. But there's many more also down through the scripture. And this is some of the last ones. So he identifies this as another beatitude of those that are blessed. They're just invited to be able to be there. But of course, they have a heavenly invitation. So one of the things that has plagued the church, as I said, coming down through the ages, has been people not being able to recognize, and this is why there's been such a differentiation in between people who believe that the church would go through tribulation, which I used to believe, and then others say, no, 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 the church can't go through the tribulation. Ain't no way they go through tribulation. And there's still that great debate today. So they take their scriptures that preach there will be a post-tribulation, others a pre-tribulation, and they fight back and forth, back and forth. And the mystery and the answer is not who's got the most scriptures on their side, but the answer is finding out there's a difference in the class of peoples either under the dispensation of grace. Now notice these are blessed that are invited to the marriage supper, but these folks aren't actually the bride. Well, praise the Lord. Now you see, those are distinguished down through time. It was a Lot and an Abraham, a Jacob and an Esau from the Old Testament. We can see it as it converges right on up to the New Testament. We see a Gamaliel. We see people that help the people of God and they love the Lord. We see a King Herod who loved John the Baptist, absolutely loved John the Baptist, but he could never obey what John the Baptist said. And yet this man risked his own reputation because of his love and honor for John. even made his old Jezebel wife mad about it because he loved the prophet. But it ain't enough to love the prophet. If you really love him right, you'll do what he said do. So you see, he's a perfect type of those who just love the prophet. And there's no way that he would have ever allowed John the Baptist to be killed if they had not have tricked him into it. You remember the story? And he loved John so much and had so much respect for him. So just because people around the message love the prophet don't mean that they're bride. Well, go ahead and preach, Brother Donnie. I knew Pentecostal people after I come to the message and started hearing about the message and I used to work for a certain preacher and I, I did his radio broadcast and I remember sitting in his radio broadcast room and there was a desk and a chair there and a microphone and I would do the intro and the outro of his broadcast and I would come in and I would say this is such and such and so and so and we're now going to introduce you into the man of God as he's going to preach so I would do that and preach about uh, or let him preach about 12, 13 minutes something like that and then I would do the outro and I'd say now we're going to be here and here and here and here well one day as I was sitting there and I was listening for the sermon you know and he was he was preaching and I happened to reach up here right above my head and there were some books well for whatever reason I'd never looked at them books before but as I pulled one of those books off of the shelf and I opened it up ah to my great surprise guess who that book was William Marion Branham oh my the theme song of this man was he was more than a man and that was his main sermon. Jesus was more than a man. My, I've sat behind him many a time. You can find it on, on, uh, on YouTube if you'd like to look at it. I'm still there as a young fellow. 
And he would, oh, Jesus as a man stepped to the bow of the ship and he spoke to the wind. Jesus as a man woke up and rubbed the sleep out of his eyes. Oh, I've screamed before thousands of people as he would preach this. Oh my, I've hollered and jumped and run. Little did I know he got that from a little prophet. Hmm. Oh yeah, how many have went and pulled from the prophet's words? I used to remember a certain other preacher from down in Yeager, West Virginia. And I heard him preach on Ruth and about Ruth believing in all the four stages. And I think, where in the world did he get that at? And I knew another man that lived pretty close to where we were for her and I were raised, born and raised. And I'd hear him preach and I would watch him as he'd pray for people. And I'd watch him as he'd weak and stagger and they'd, you know, lead him off the platform saying, well, man, we're in the world. But what I found what was amazing was when I come to the message, I found a lot of the stuff they was doing and saying come inside of the, from there. And then I found out once they found out I knew where it come from, they didn't want me to find it out. So what did they do? They separated themselves from me because they knew I'd tell. <laughs> they knew I'd tell. They was not getting that on their own. I'm not ashamed to tell you tonight. A lot of the stuff I preach to you, it ain't original. It don't come to me first. It comes through the channel of Malachi 4. And if you got a problem with that, you got a problem with God. Oh, praise the Lord. You see, God has this program. And you know, I, I love the way Brother Branham says it in spoken words, original seed. You can only serve God on earth as God's servants sin on the earth interpret God's word to you. So you can see why Satan wants to break that divine protocol of the way God does it. He's always done it this way and he will continue to do so to the end time. So we know there's an element of people that'll never hear this message. And there's an element of people that will hear it and they will follow along. Remember in the very type whenever Eliezer was sent to get Rebecca and he brought Rebecca out and the Bible also says Rebecca followed the man but her maidens also followed along right with her. Here goes Eliezer telling her all the things about her husband-to-be, telling her what he looks like, what kind of man he is, how much riches and wealth and so on and so on that he has, and those maidens are following right along, hearing the messenger talk the message, but did them maidens jump off of the camel and go into the tent to be married to Isaac? They did not. Are there foolish virgins around this message? They are. Are there foolish virgins out here in the world? They are. Well, Brother Donnie, where they all fit? I don't have an idea and you don't either. But I'm so glad Almighty God knows where everybody fits. And there will be people that will be in heaven that more than likely will shock us to death. When we look around and say, you gotta be kidding, you made it? And you look, well, you gotta be kidding, you made it? And then you look in the mirror and say, glory to God, you mean I made it? By the grace of God, I find him. <laughs> oh, some of you, I know you're so conceited in yourself, ain't no question in your mind, you're going. Well, the rest of us knows it'll be the grace of God if we get there. I'm just telling you tonight, it'll be the grace of God if I make it, but I'm gonna make it because I love grace and grace has been applied to my life. So God is now beckoning and he's opening up even right here to show us there's a difference between the bride and the guest. So in the New Testament, the whole program of God was set forth in such a way as well as the Old Testament. So here, it's not so much the question of difference of salvation, but it's the difference of positioning in the body. Just like God 
calls an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, and all of God's gifts are so different. We know that. We can hear Brother Darrell preach. He's different than Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew preaches and other men, and each one has to find the way God has made them. And if they know who they are and they find in that, then there should be no jealousy among us. Same way with singers, same way with musicians and everything else. And the program of God is exactly the same way. I want you to notice now, John goes from verse nine to verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. Wow. So John sees the church He sees the whore, he sees the atomic bomb, he sees the wedding supper, and John is so overwhelmed that he falls before this being to worship him. Wow, y'all ain't been this quiet now since on now. Now John is overwhelmed. Now remember, John has not changed. John's not in a word body yet. This is a vision. So in the vision, it shows how that the recipient of the vision can be wrong. And I hope this don't stagger you, but this being was not an angel with wings on his back. It was a redeemed human being. Somebody call 911. Now listen, John said, I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren. Now an angel could not say this. This is not an angel, a cherubim, a seraphim, a zoom. This is a redeemed human being. Do you understand that it was a redeemed human being that showed John the entire book of Revelation? Come on. Oh, come on, children. That's a quote from the message. Huh? Now look, he is so overwhelmed, Lance, by being in this vision. My, the man has seen all of these great things. and I mean, who knows what it was? But let me just clue you in. This happened twice. John does it here and he gets so overwhelmed again, he does it again in Revelation 22. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. So this was not an Old Testament prophet then. It was a New Testament. Now listen to what he says. It gives him a great revelation here. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now this angel, man, which was guiding him and revealing these great things, John is so overwhelmed, not just by the personage of this man, but all that he's seen, he's just, he's just beside himself. Look with me again in Revelation 22, 8. And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel 
which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, see thou do it not. I mean, here the man is doing it again. Well, praise the Lord. You see how us human beings are? And you think you don't need grace after you got grace? This man needed the mercy of God. Look what he has done. He has just fell down and worshiped an angel, a man, a messenger that has been redeemed, but there must have been such Shekinah and so much of the glory of God coming here, he was just overwhelmed. He's just so overwhelmed and he just gets beside himself, just beside himself in the vision and he just falls down to worship this being. Now notice again, it happens again. I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Now during this whole revelation on this Isle of Patmos, it's been this angel, this redeemed being. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets. So now he gives a little further identity of who he is. He was a New Testament redeemed prophet. And of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. (laughs) Well, I hope you and I maybe could be a little bit more merciful When people who were overwhelmed in the presence of God are maybe in the presence of one of his prophet messengers and they would begin to think in their mind, it's the Lord Jesus. This might help us to be a little bit more understanding. Now, I always, uh, for whatever reason, I get attacked by a lot of these folks that don't believe the message no more. And they like to have my email address and share it and to be able to attack me, you know, one email after another after another and tell us how wrong we are and on and on and on with their garbage. <clears throat> so one way that I, I like to answer them back is, I'll tell you what, when your wife, your children, and the people you work with mistake you for the Lord Jesus, I'll fly you down to the Tri-Cities Airport and then we'll sit and talk. But until they do, I'm going to keep following this man that they did. Well, praise the Lord. Now, some of you that want to dissect the message and say, well, this is Brother Ram's opinion, that's Brother Ram's opinion, you want to, the things you don't believe, that's the way you want to get out of of obeying it. I'll I'll tell you exactly the same thing. Uh, For has any of your sons ever thought you was the Lord Jesus? What about some of the people you go to church with? What about your wife? Oh, I see she might think you might be that other guy. (laughs) So she don't see the pillar of fire over your head, it's horns. Now, you know, humans, can I say I understand this? No, I, I can't. I've never seen this out of any man. Okay, I wasn't around Brother Branham, never got to be there, never got to see any of the meetings. I've been around servants of God, yes, my whole life. 
I've been around men of God that I've seen the anointing on them. And, and I was afraid because you could fear that, feel that awesome thing and it, it produced this austere fear. Doesn't it, Brother Darrell? Just being around, being with, around servants of God, watch them so anointed by the presence of the Lord. And it makes that. But if I ever felt this, I haven't. So it's hard for me to relate to John doing this. Now I could, of course, like you, take the theological side, say, John, you ought to know better than that. You look at here, John, I'll tell you one thing, you should have known that was an angel. You'd done seen the Lord Jesus, how in the world? But you see, I'm a man speaking without this type of experience. So I don't know exactly what all John had succumbed to being in this atmosphere and being in this presence. So whenever I hear the prophet tell us in Revelation chapter five, part two, I think it is, that he says there's a dozen or more people sitting here in this building today that thought I was Jesus Christ. Now you and I might hear that quote or read it and we'd say, well, a bunch of knotheads, what in the world's the matter with them? And there again, you and I was not in that aura of that presence. Now I've talked to people who were. And they talked about how powerful that it was and how moving that it was. Oh my. And how that that prophet wouldn't even break into that realm, tell you your very thoughts, the very things you had prayed about, tell you this and that and the other. And you think it must have been an awesome thing to experience. But now John is carried up in the realm of vision. So he's not standing at a store. And I asked Brother Charlie Cox one time, I said, Brother Charlie, how, how was it being around Brother Branham? How was it? He said, well, Brother Darling, you know, you've been around Brother Branham. And he said, we, we never pulled on him. We never tried to pull him into uh, explaining this and asking him all kinds of questions. And he said, we just let him talk. He said, but he would always go to the Word. And he, Brother Charlie drew, drew out a little box and it was writings of Brother Branham. And it was all types of drawings of this and that and the other. And he said, whenever they'd get done eating separate night, that Brother Branham would, would get a piece of paper and he'd sit there and draw the rainbow and, and draw this and that and the other. Brother Charlie still had them. As a matter of fact, he had a squirrel that they had shot in 1958. Put in a, in a, a carton, a milk jug, and it was frozen in the freezer, and it was still there. And he pulled it out and showed it to me. The squirrels, which was created by the spoken word, they were created that morning. They skinned them that evening and ate them for supper. So it, I, I said, well, how, how was it when the people got around it? He said, we'd walk in them country stores. Brother Bram would have blood on his clothes. His beard would be grown out. And he'd just talk to them guys and ask them about their crops. And if there's a, if there's a car salesman, he'd ask him about that. He never told them he's Malachi 4. Never told them he was Elijah. But they always knew there was something around him because he said, could you always sense that presence of being around him? Now, this was a man that was hunting. Can you imagine now John being carried up in to the heavens and he saw this glorified person. I hope you understand what I'm fixing to say. One day the angels of God, one day the foolish virgin which come up through the final stage of their redemption, they will stand there in this all of you. I know it's hard for you to view yourself in this way, but what I see, Harry, when I look at this human being, I see a human being that was prefigured in the body change. A human being which had entered into that final phase of God's glory. 
And it was of such high esteem and such glory that a prophet like John, a prophet of John's caliber, since this effigy of the glory of God emanating from this person and it was so close to God himself. I hope you understand me. What happened to this redeemed human being? He had entered into this stage of deity that he had come from in the beginning. You see, what we have received in our soul by the Holy Ghost truly is deity, but it's so marred by our humanity. You see, this is why we struggle with one another. It's because the the human weakness of us all and our failures and our faults, if we could ever peel back beyond all of that and see what lives inside of your soul, what would you see? That little spot of deity. But no doubt what John is seeing is the human part of this redeemed elder soul pulled back. But he's not seeing his weakness, his flaws, his humanity. But he's seeing him in this, oh, glory to God, in this post figure of a redeemed son of God standing there in a glorified body insomuch that God would share the revelation of his word with this being. And what happened to this person? They were actually pulled back into the stage of deity which they come from. Oh, I know you don't remember it and I don't either. But before we come to this earth, we were a part of Elohim. We were a part of him. It's farther back than what our minds can go back to because we did not pre-exist as a human. We did not pre-exist as a mortal there, but we were in his mind. We do not believe in pre-existence of souls the way the Mormons is. That's right. But we do believe that we dwelt in his mind. And where do we come from? We came from that great Elohim. There's only one source of eternal life, and that's him. And this being had been so brought back into that type that John has now been been associating and been hanging around this being which has been brought back into deity. What does deity do? What does deity do? It demands worship. And the person, this person was so brought back into the deity of God that John falls down before him. He's overwhelmed. Am I taking up for him? No, of course not. But you can see, looking at it in this way, you can see why a person would do it because his presence would become so great and so overwhelming that you just want to worship. Well, I don't mind telling you. I want us as the people of God. I want us and our services to want him so much that he will come among us in a way like we have never seen him before. And not that we bow before one another, but we bow before him and we are so overwhelmed by his presence that when we enter into those courts, into that august courts of God, and we enter into his courts with praise that we know he's so near. You've been in services and so have I. So when the presence of God was so overwhelming, you just see people bow down at their chair or they get down on their face or their knees. What is it? It's something about deity when it's revealed and such a high persona of God that it makes the human receiver want to worship God. What does it make them want to do? It makes them want to bow in their humanity to the glory of God. Can you imagine a human being being brought so into the deity of God that another mortal would bow before them? I hope I can give you too much. Let's stand up.
Hallelujah. Let me just give you now a preview. So after John falls to worship, then the angel tells him not to do it. Listen to the very next verse. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Isn't it amazing that God understands John's overwhelming experience and he doesn't stop the vision and he doesn't punish him, but he simply changes the scene. The the being tells John not to worship, so John corrects the error and the vision continues on. What to now? The breaking of the day of the Lord. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness doth he judge and make war. Oh, let's just pray. Lord God, just talking about this great presence. Oh, Jesus, how we long for that day when we will be called into it, Lord. Many of us have experienced you since we were little children. We felt your presence. But, Lord, we all know there's more. And, Lord, there's been times that I felt it so great I thought it would take my breath. I thought I can't take it no more. Lord God, whenever we once get back into that place where we came from. But when we came from that, we left it in attribute form. But when we go back, we will be in expressed form. In a threefold expression. Soul, seed, gene, theophany, glorified body. So when John is dealing with this being, it's like it's post-change. This being is so like God, even though he was a redeemed mortal. John falls before him. Oh, what awaits us, Lord. No wonder John said, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Lord, it isn't just young men and young women you want us to become. You want us to enter into that Shekinah. Hallelujah. We can only understand it, Father, that when the foolish virgin type come into the city on the eighth day. They're not just coming to see you. They're not just coming to see the city, but they're coming to see us. Because no doubt this will be part of what they will talk about out in the new earth. For eternity we will be learning about you and talking about you and you will be revealing to us the city inhabitants, a level about you that the others are not supposed to hear. 
but they will be hearing in their call degree as they did here in life. Hallelujah. And when they come in and they start walking up that ascent of that beautiful pyramid-shaped city, and they go to see in us, and they will bow their heads as it were, and they will see human beings that they have been told by what's been told them on the outside of the city that now you're going to go in. This is your first time to make the visit of the city. You're going to see the great king seated there on the throne. You'll see that glory, which will be the father. You'll see the waters that comes down out of the throne as it trickles down. But we're going to tell you now, you're going to see other beings in that city. They're going to look human. But these are the chosen. These are the elect. They will be so much like him. You will feel yourself being pulled to bow your heads as it were in their presence before you ever even reach him. Oh, glory to God. Lord Jesus, may we be that type of people on earth. May we be able to lead people to you. May we be so godly. May we live so in your presence, Lord God, that when people get around us, they don't have to ask, are we a Christian? Something about our life will tell them. Something will so emanate from our soul, a presence, an awe. Oh, it'll never be nothing like it was with Brother Branham and the others and all the great people like that. But just being a child of God, being touched by heaven, bearing witness of heaven. And when we get to heaven, we will take on a heavenly image that will be closer to the exalted image of our person that we have married, the Lord Jesus, than what those who live outside the city will bear. And when these outside the city will come in and throne the streets, they will walk by and bow their heads as it were and they will know, there she is. There he is. You know, they told me them people lived on earth just like we did. Look at them now. Look at that glory as it comes from them. They tell me on earth, they was called the bride. Lord God. Lord Jesus. Glorify thou us. Was the glory that we had with you before the foundation of the world. Oh, Lord God, we worship you. We bless your name tonight, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, it's not the presence of a man that we sent here. It's not the presence of a prophet or a preacher. It's not the presence of a bride member that we sent near us. But it's the presence of him who takes drunks and changes them 
and lets them bear the image of the glory of God. It's the presence of him who would take a woman who was so vile. She might be a streetwalker or whatever more, but so saved by the power of God that she will walk down the streets of gold. People will come in her presence and bow their heads. The glory that we will share will be so great that day on our person, Father. The angels will bow their heads as we come in. Lord God, the prophet said when we go to singing them songs of redemption, the angels will bow their heads and they will circle the earth while we are singing because they don't know the songs of redemption. They have worshipped you and praised you for maybe millions of years. And I tell them tonight to do good, do a great job until I get there, until the saints of God get there because we will be the ones that will throng the throne of our blessed Lord, our husband. We will replace them and sing the songs of redemption. Hallelujah. Glory to God as we ourselves will bear the image of deity. For we also will be changed and bear the image of the heavenly Father that will enshroud the body of the Lord Jesus. Friends, don't think I'm crazy. One day you will take on that image that he wants to share with you. He don't want you to just be young. He wants you to have that glory that you had with him before the world began. This is what I see on this man that John bowed before him. He was so much like Jesus. John thought, how could that be just a mere mortal? It was the deity of God. This is what awaits you. So I ask you, what trial could you go through? What test could you go through that would even compare to the glory that awaits us when this battle is over? Oh, Jesus. My Melchizedek. My God, my King, I worship you tonight, Lord. Can we just raise our hands in the presence of the King? Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we worship you tonight. Oh, Jesus, I I think for the first time in my life, I can see why you why you asked for that and you prayed that prayer. Father, glorify thou me with the glory that I had with thee before the world began. It's not just youth we want. It's not just a young body. It's that glory. That glory. We cannot have it now. You cannot share it with us now. But it awaits us. 
Oh, blessed God. Blessed Lord God. Jesus. May the portion that we can receive tonight visit us in this place. I don't ask for that which can only come hereafter, but I ask for the portion that I can take tonight. Lord, I ask for the portion that me and my sheep can take tonight. Oh, Lord God, visit us, I pray, Father. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord. We love you, Father. Make us like you. Oh, Jesus, I adore you, Father. I worship you tonight. I wish somebody would just help me worship him. Let's just... Let's just take a few minutes before we go. Oh, Jesus, I bless your name, Father. I adore you. I worship you. Oh, Lamb of God. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. You're King. Hallelujah. You're the mighty God. You're the God Jeremiah called you. The God of truth, Elohim emet, Elohim emet, the God of truth. Oh, Jesus, we don't want just the truth of God. We want the God of truth. We don't want to make an idol out of just the truth, but we want the God of truth. We love your truth, but we know people can idolize it but we want the God of truth. Oh, Jesus, we worship you, Lord. May your glory fall among us. May you heal the sick. May you encourage those that are down. May you bring strength to those that are weak. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, may Satan back off from God's people. May we be energized, Lord. Hallelujah to the living God. May our theophanies, as it were, come close tonight, Lord God. May we feel a charge go through us like a battery. Oh, Heavenly Father, maybe there's some weary of the journey, some father just distraught with life. Oh, Lord, may we receive a renewing from the presence of the Lord tonight. Father, I know this type of glory that I preached about tonight can only happen in the hereafter, but Father God, one day, oh Jesus, we'll walk into that realm, but we ask for the portion which is allocated for us while we're here. We believe the glory of God awaits for the bride. We believe, Father, before she leaves this world, you're gonna manifest yourself in a way like we have only dreamed about. Oh, it won't be for the world, but it'll be for the bride. Hallelujah. The prophet says there'll be a time that missing limbs will be restored. I believe that, Heavenly Father. He tells us in perfect faith we were longing to see apostolic time sing among us. It's seen among us. He said, we see it now, but we want to see more of it. 
We want to see you manifest yourself, Lord, not to make this preacher great and that preacher great, but that the mighty God might manifest himself among us. Heavenly Father, to bring a faith among us, oh Lord, that won't just bring healing to us, but it'll change our bodies in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Lord, we're not looking for the glory of man. We're not looking, Father, for some great something in this world. We don't want the old man to praise us and man to adore us. We want the glory of God to so shine upon us that Jesus Christ can be heard out of our mouths. Jesus Christ can be seen out of our everyday life. That Jesus Christ can manifest himself, not just through the preacher, but through the housewife, through the painter, through the farmer, through the factory worker, that the world will hear once again from heaven. Hallelujah, that the bride will be the living voice of God on the earth before we leave this place. Oh, grant it, Lord Jesus. Grant it, Lord Jesus. We worship you tonight, Father. We bless you, Lord. Sing something for us, Harry. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Blessed Lord God. I magnify your name. I worship you. I worship you. I adore you. I bless you, Lord God. Hallelujah. You're the way, the truth, the life. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Lord God, manifest yourself among us tonight. Those that are sick at home and couldn't be here tonight, Father, through their computer, through their phone, in the name of Jesus, may healing virtue go there, Father, to where they are. May the glory of God touch your people tonight, Father. Oh, Jesus, we worship you. I want to sit at your feet. Drink from Hallelujah. this cup in your Hallelujah. Lay back Why don't you just lay back against him right now? Can you imagine your call to do that? Oh, just lean back against him, Lord. His love is so deep. Thank you, Lord. It's more than I can understand. I rest in so overwhelming the more I seek you the more I find you the more Father, the more I love you, I want to sit at your feet, drink from this cup in your hand, lay back against you, feel your heart beat, this love is all our God Thank you, Lord God. I rest in you. 
Harvey. 
this love is so I can understand I rest in your peace it's overwhelming I know what it's like Be in the presence of the Lord And not know what time it is Cause time stood still And bodies were
Every praise is to our God. 